Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Flightcast, the Infinite Flight Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosewell, and as always, today we'll talk about the mobile flight simulator, Infinite Flight. If you found us because you're an av geek, but you've never heard of Infinite Flight, head on over to the App Store on your iOS device or Google Play for Android and search for Infinite Flight. Links will be in the comments for this episode. So many of us who love playing Infinite Flight dream of taking our passion for aviation to the skies. For some, it's just a part of life, a natural progression. We have to fly. Today we continue our real-world pilot series. In the first part of the series, we chatted with Arnot, first officer for a major Middle Eastern airline on the A380. Today we'll talk with two more members of our Infinite Flight advanced server crew to learn more about what it takes to be both a private pilot and commercial pilot. It's a pleasure to be able to welcome from Stockport, England, and freshly certified to fly multi-engine airplanes commercially, Dale McLaughlin. Welcome to the show, Dale. Thanks for having me, Jason. I'm also excited to welcome back to the show a man that needs no introduction, the eloquent and always gracious Infinite Flight moderator from Mobile, Alabama, Mr. Mark Skyhawk Heavy Denton. It's great to have you back, Mark. Man, it's great to be here. So first things first, I think congratulations are in order for Mr. McLaughlin. Uh, Dale, you have recently obtained, very recently, obtained your commercial pilot's license in America. So congrats. Yeah, thanks. We want to hear all about that, but I want to back up just a little bit and start at the beginning. So, uh, Dale, where and when did you first get into flying? Um, well, I probably first started when I was 14, when I joined uh, the Air Cadets. I don't know if you guys in Canada or America have something similar. We do. We have Air Cadets here in Canada. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, I think we do exchanges. Yeah, IAs of you, International Air Cadet Exchange. I think some of our guys come over to Canada every once in a while to to see what the barren wasteland's like. <laughs> uh, but we yeah, have so a lot of trees. Yeah, well, I joined the cadets at 14, um, which was my friend was at school was going, so I thought it'd be a good idea. And then uh, I started flying, uh, went, did a few air experience flights, and then uh, uh, applied for a gliding scholarship, uh, which is on the motor glider, the Grob 109, uh, which I continually see a lot, actually, in Arizona and around. It's a quite popular aircraft, um, the motor gliders over here. Um, so I did that. So I flew solo at 16. So I couldn't actually drive a car, but I could fly a plane, which is something uh, that not many people can say. Um, and then from there, I stayed on at the gliding school and uh, and did advanced glider training. So uh, I then started flying cadets, giving them their first taste. Um, got a few uh, flying scholarships as well um, from the Air League and uh, also the Air Cadets gave me a flying scholarship. So that put me like halfway towards my PPL, which unfortunately I couldn't continue because of the cost and the Americans don't understand how expensive it is to fly in the UK. <laughs> um, you know, you guys can uh, get a plane for 70 bucks and we have to pay 150 pounds, which is, you know, like 200 and odd bucks an hour. So, oh, you know, wow. it's just, it's really unrealistic for us to do that in the UK. Um, and then I started at Oxford um, a year ago, a year and three days ago. So, uh, that's, uh, and that's that's how I started really. And I'm here now with a commercial parts license. Awesome. Yeah, and like I said, we'll get talking about that a little bit later. But uh, Mark, for now, same question for you. So, when did it? Where did it start? And you mentioned in episode three that your father flew C-130s, um, uh, Hercules, which we actually have flying around my area once in a while. Um, can you refresh our memories on that? Well, yeah, I mean, I started flying probably when I was three, and I got my first Fisher-Price airplane, 
um, <laughs> with the little weeble wobbles in it, and I awesome. was hooked uh, from that moment. But now I took my first flight at uh, around five years old at just a small local field, and uh, from that moment I was hooked. Um, and then, of course, being around aviation with my father on C-130s for his career, um, I've just always had the aviation bug and um, worked for Northwest Airlines for 15 years and just constantly being around the planes. Then uh, 2000, I started on my uh, PPL and got my license uh, very shortly afterwards. So just been flying ever since. Great. Racking up hours. Trying to. Do your do your infinite flight hours count towards that? Uh, not um, <clears throat> not according to the FAA, but they do in my book. <laughs> You've got a separate little column in your log. <laughs> yeah, I, I have the IF column in my log book. He's on like book three by now. <laughs> yeah, I, I've made it. I made the uh, I made the log book on Excel and had it bounded and everything, so it it looks official. Beautiful. So legit. <laughs> uh, so. Mark, when it came time to take the plunge and get your PPL, um, what what process did you, or again, in America, we would say uh, process, right? Uh, what process did yeah, you process. follow for that? Um, our friend and ATC boss, Tyler, who surprisingly isn't on this episode, um, yeah, <laughs> like he is on every other episode, Tyler's really fast-tracking his PPL at the moment. So is that the approach that you took, or how did that look for you? Yeah, and that you know that was something I had talked with him about. Um, it's better to do it as quickly as you can. Um, when I got my license in, as far as I know, everything is still the same now. You've got to have a minimum of 40 flight hours uh, to obtain a PPL. And uh, when I landed to get my check ride or to take my check ride with the FAA, I had 42 hours, so that was something I was very proud about. Uh, most people, uh, it takes around 70 or so, simply because they will fly and then wait two weeks, and then they'll fly another hour, hour and a half, and what happens is half of that lesson, they're actually working on what they worked before to try to refresh their memory. So most pilots uh, will get their license in 70 to 80 hours, um, but I just basically had everything saved up and um, did it all as fast as I possibly could and soloed at nine hours, which I thought was pretty fast until Tyler disclosed his the other day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I'm waiting to see uh, how many hours he has when he does his check ride. I, I'll probably beat him on that one. Uh, of course, he may get his in 38. I don't know. Just, just to beat me, but um, I just went, you know, through the local FBO. I uh, joined an Aero Club uh, that we have three one seventy twos, and at the time we had three. Now they got two and a one fifty two. Um, hooked up with a flight instructor who was retired, so he had a lot of time, and uh, just flew as much as I possibly could. So just to just to piggyback on that comment that you just made, you said you joined a club. Is that it, like, is there a, a, a way that is um, maybe preferred for, like, flying's a, an expensive hobby. So if you don't own an airplane, uh, Mark, what do you do uh, in your situation to fly? Is there a, ch a cheaper way to do it? I mean, you got to rent the airplane, you got to put fuel in it. How does that work? 
Yeah, the way we do it here is, um, you know, I pay a monthly fee as a membership to the Aero Club. Um, and, you know, I get to rent the plane for about 110. Uh, non-members are about 150. Um, so as a member, I do get a little bit of a discount. And that's 110 per hour wet, which means fuel is included in that. Now, if I fly somewhere else and uh, have to add fuel to come back, of course, that's my expense. Um, but if you have an aero club, a lot of times, yeah, you pay a monthly fee, but you do get a little bit of a break on the hourly rate. Uh, if not, a lot of FBOs just have aircraft that they do rent out. Uh, but you'll have to go and do a check ride with one of their uh, one of their flight instructors that are cleared through their insurance, um, just to make sure that you're competent to fly the plane. Uh, so after you do a little one to two hour check ride, if you will, with the uh, flight instructor, and they clear you, then you should be good to go to fly uh, fly any of their aircraft that uh, that you're certified, of course, to fly. Okay. So having um, having learned all that, then what 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 are we looking at for? Um, cost then because we've already talked hours yeah uh, cost for your PPL yeah for the PPL I mean I did mine it was probably around four grand for me um, four grand you know, you really yeah well you figure at the time when I got my license it was only fifty four fifty five dollars an hour uh, uh, to rent a 172 okay so fuel uh, costs increased since 2000 are what's accounting for that I would assume oh yeah definitely okay. Okay. And then you pay for the flight instructor, um, which for my PPL was twenty five an hour. Um, so you know seventy five, eighty bucks an hour with instructor. And of course, I didn't have the instructor the entire time. So now it's one ten an hour to go out and fly basic one seventy two without any kind of new uh, GPSs, Garmin one thousand, so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, it can, it can get it can get pricey. Uh, each different FBOs, uh, Dale, I believe you were saying that they were like seventy bucks an hour out in Arizona. Yeah, um, some of them really cheap. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I know other ones are one hundred and twenty, one hundred and thirty to rent plus the instructor. So it just really depends on the location, I guess. Um, so. Dale, how about you? Um, when we talked to Arnout, he he said he skipped his PPL altogether. I asked him when he did it, and he said, "Nope." <laughs> um, did you start? You 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 did briefly mention that you uh, had started your PPL, and then it, because of costs and so on, you stopped or you put it on pause. So, uh, what's the story right now with that? Yeah, well, essentially, yeah, it was. Um, I got to about twenty-five hours, and I mean, for like over in the US, you can get like a recreational license, which we call the NPPL, National Private Pilots License. So that's uh, basically you can fly in the UK and Ireland, and you know, which is just what you need really. Um, that was thirty-five hours, but with the you know, like, uh, like Mark was saying, if you if you're not flying frequently, then you spend half your lesson redoing the stuff you went over last time and you're just basically putting money into the into the you know, engine that's being burnt off and you're not actually getting anywhere so I, I never actually did my PPL however today I did actually uh, pass my single engine uh, rating so now I can I can fly single engine aircraft now uh, as a commercial pilot so um, you know I can take people you know places and they can pay me for it which is which is quite nice you got the uh, best of both worlds so I actually got my multi-engine rating before I got my single-engine rating, which was um, 
a bit different. <laughs> yeah. Now I can fly people too, and they can pay me. It's just got to be cash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not. It's all, it's all under, under under the table. So uh, you know, I can do it officially. <laughs> You're not supposed to say that with thousands of people listening, Mark. <laughs> oh, my bad. <laughs> I'll just bleep that part out. It'll have to be a really long one. Yeah, they were just helping along with the fuel costs. That's what it was. They were paying me per hour. Uh, so, you know, splitting the cost of the plane. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what, what you're doing. Yeah, just, you know, friends, some friends just splitting the cost of a joyride. That's all it was. That's all it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Dale, let's get to your commercial certificate. Um, maybe start off by talking about uh, where you got your CPL because you are uh, talking to us from somewhere in was, America right now. Yeah, I'm currently in Arizona. I'm flying back to the UK tomorrow because I obviously I've got my commercial pilot's license, so I don't need to be out here any any longer. Um, but basically, I'm with uh, Oxford Aviation Academy at the moment doing my frozen uh, transport pilot's license, ATPL, um, so that I can basically fly for the airlines. Um, and Oxford do all the ground school, the instrument rating in the UK where the weather's colder and worse, so perfect for instrument conditions. But because uh, it's cheaper, of the like initial flying training, they send you out to their school in Arizona. Where the oh, so is. you're actually part of a, a a British school right now in Arizona. Yeah, that's right. So I mean, CAE Canadian Aviation Electronics, as they used to be, um, which I'm sure you've heard of. Um, they uh, they took over the Oxford uh, Aviation Academy, and uh, they actually have uh, a lot of schools around the world, from uh, place in Belgium, Middle East. Um, Far East, they've got someone in New Zealand, I think, as well. So they uh, they're actually the largest um, school in the in the world, I believe, um, if that my facts are right. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm part of the Oxford Aviation Academy, but uh, their their training and their uh, elementary flying training is done in Arizona because you know if the weather's better and you can guarantee that you're going to fly pretty much every day. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, well I've never heard of them myself. If they're the largest, and I've never heard of, them. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Mark, You've not don't much though, Mark. Don't interrupt when the grown-ups are talking, please, Mark. If you don't mind. <laughs> I'm told that daily. I think it's you that's telling people that daily. <laughs> um, so, since Mark wants to talk, let's direct the next question at him. Um, so. No, actually, you know what? I, I've changed my mind. So, Dale, when we get to looking at um, things like time and cost commitment for getting the CPL, um, uh, first of all, are there people, are there Americans at this school with you as well, or is that just um, a whole bunch of British people that are shipped over to Arizona? Um, it's, it, it's, it's mainly British, um, you know, a lot of it British. We do get um, the Belgians that come and invade here as well. And some French, but they surrender very quickly. Wow. Let's keep the political jokes out of it, if you don't mind. Um, no, but it's uh, definitely mainly, mainly British. Um, that's basically where Oxford target uh, most of uh, their, obviously their, their customers are, are British. Um, all the instructors are pretty much American, though, and obviously uh, they're all just guys that are trying to build up their uh, fifteen hundred hours so they can uh, ship off to the airlines. Sure. So uh, that's that's they use it as a stepping stone, which is uh, which is good if that's where you want to get to. Okay. Okay. So, Mark, you've had your PPL for a while now. So, uh, for private pilots, 
This is a question just in terms of, uh, I guess, regulations. Has anything changed since you did all your training back in 2000? So it's been about 15 years. Um, is there anything that you have to do in terms of rechecks or um, regulation changes? I know a, f- a friend of mine here in Canada had to, he basically had a giant binder that was his, uh, I don't know, his regulations book, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, since I don't know all the lingo, but he would have to buy new sections or something every year to add to it. Um, does that ring a bell? Do you, what, what do you have to do in yeah. terms of rechecking? Yeah, it really does. I mean, and when you say 15 years, as far as that, I've had my license, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, man, most of the people that are going to be listening to this aren't even 15 yet. And I've had my license longer. But, well, you know, I think so, we've already yeah. established that how old you are. So let's just move past that. And keep, <laughs> <keep> talking. <laughs> um, you know, as far as a lot of the, uh, a lot of the regs and everything, well, regulations, uh, you know, there's a far aim that, uh, is, uh, updated annually, but 90%, well, for most of the time, from what I've seen, uh, everything is pretty much the same. There's some minor changes here and there, but uh, we're also able to get information uh, through other resources on stuff like that. Uh, the sectionals, like what uh, your friend was talking about, is basically a VFR map uh, that we use for, you know, planning our uh, our flights and uh, it shows us uh, field elevations. It shows us uh, obstacles, towers. Um, it probably shows mountains, which we don't have that problem in the sectionals uh, down here in the south. Um, but it, it gives a lot of pertinent information that uh, you know you can plan your flight from. Instead of pulling out a road map, it's just being able to look at this is a chart that we're able to plot and plan our trips on. Um, and we used to have to buy them 15 years ago. I uh, believe it was like every 90 days is when it updated because there's always a new cell tower going up or, mm. you know, a new skyscraper or whatever. And um, now a lot of that stuff is, is available online. Uh, I'm a member of a pilot organization. It's a, a national organization, uh, AOPA. Uh, I'm sure uh, Dale's probably heard of it. Uh, you probably have too, Jason. But, you know, we can get a lot of that stuff through them. Uh, and other other websites we're able to get up-to-date information from uh, to where we're not actually having to buy it okay. uh, every three months and hold the paper in our flight bags all the time. Right. Okay. Um, so Dale, how does that look like, how does that look for you? So you're, as you progress with your commercial career, what does staying current look like for you? Does it depend on the company that you're working for? How does that work? Yeah. So, I mean, I've, um, I've been tagged by, uh, EasyJet. I'm sure quite a few people have heard. And obviously with the new update of the A320 coming, um, at any, well, you know, whenever it comes. Um, so that's what I'm going to be flying for. Um, so basically staying current with them is basically just going to be flying on a regular basis and doing sim checks every every four months or so. And just obviously making sure that the emergency procedures are, are uh, you know, being adhered to. Um, and that's basically staying current for me, really. And obviously on the side, I'll be making sure I stay current with my uh, single engine. You know, don't want to run that one out. Cause, okay, uh, so you've... you've you say you've been tagged by them. Does that mean they've offered you a job? 
Yeah, essentially, um, it's basically that as long as I pass my course that I'm doing, you know, I don't fail anything or anything like that, then uh, as long as they're still recruiting, which uh, they will be because they've got a lot of aircraft on order, um, then, uh, yeah, there's a job on the table for me there. Okay, and how do you so start do you out with start them? off flight attendant, most likely? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, so basically, it'll... Uh, It'll be once I finished here and got my uh, my instrument rating and my MCC and jock, then uh, essentially it'll be uh, to type rating on the A319 and 20, and then line training. So it's basically down at Gatwick Airport, um, and obviously you do uh, some touch and goes in an A320, and then you basically start off flying with uh, with training captains to uh, to ensure that you are suitable to fly the passengers, and then. On from there, really. So, the so first... you're you're starting you're starting out flying jets with them right away. You're not they don't have any uh, like turbo props or anything like that. No, no, oh yeah, just starting straight on the Airbus. And wow. see, that's something that's important to, uh, as far as the difference between a, a commercial pilot and a private pilot. Um, you know how? What did you say it was like every four months that y'all are basically yeah. having to get rechecked? Well, as a private pilot. Um, according to uh, federal aviation regulations, uh, for me, for example, over I'm now over forty, uh, I have to do uh, I have to renew my medical um, every two years, as well as uh, do what's called a biannual. Um, even if I flew five hundred hours that year or over those two years, uh, I still have to go up every two years with an instructor and basically do another check ride just to stay current yeah so it's it's i know with the pp or with the uh, commercial you guys have to do that a lot more yeah well it's obviously just down to the safety isn't it you know um there's been a number of things that have happened obviously that you know the regular checks are there for a reason so uh you know it's just one of those things yep Cool, guys. Well, uh, it wouldn't be a flight cast episode if we didn't bring it all around to infinite flight a little bit as much as we could talk for hours about this stuff, um, and I know people are anxious to hear about it, uh, if we run out of time, then we'll just have to do it again. But um, So let's talk about Infinite Flight, the reason that we're all here. Um, Mark, you've been looking a little prettier these days flying around on the map since you've been promoted from uh, general flight sim nerd to flight sim mod nerd, I guess. <laughs> And you know, there's some debate as to whether that uh, whether your name shows up as pink or purple on the map. Uh, I think it just depends on the person looking at it. But uh, either way, yeah, either way, I'm comfortable it, it with it. It doesn't you. matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I may, you know, it doesn't matter what color it was. I'd still make it look good. It's true. It's true. So does this mean this means you're our boss? Then I guess. Well, technically, Tyler is the ultimate boss, and I let Tyler think that I work for him. Um, but, uh, you know, I just basically help Tyler with, you know, with the moderating, um, you know, promoting people and uh, moving them up through the uh, ATC ranks, uh, just keeping an eye on everything uh, that needs to be worked on, tweaked or whatever, but also making sure that a lot of the controllers are uh, staying up to par. So, you know, we can provide the best possible experience for all the pilots that are on infinite flight. We should probably uh, say to everybody too that when Mark when Mark is sarcastic uh, straight to your face, he's he's just loving on you, okay? He that's his love language 
he, you might think he's being mean to you. Um, that's just him. So just embrace it and. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will plead the fifth on that one, <laughs> uh, just due to the audience, but, uh, sure. We'll go with that one for now. Professionalism <laughs> takes many forms. <laughs> yes, Mark's not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, now. You know, when I took geometry, round was a shape, so that is a form. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so now that you've been ATC mod for a while, what advice can you throw out there for our ATC uh, team on the advanced server? Uh, just consistency. You know, it's uh, one thing that I see a lot of is people get so wrapped up into how many ops they have and quite honestly that's a pet peeve to me um just because i'm all i'm more about quality versus quantity um you know you can have ten thousand ops all you want to but if you were given wrong commands in those ten thousand ops it's not a good experience for the people who are flying so you know let's just keep everything simple be at the basics uh you know just be smart, use common sense with everything, and just, you know, keep focused on what you're doing. Uh, you know, know your airspace, know what's around you, um, and try to just try to stay ahead and, and just imagine what uh, the airspace will look like um, as you see more people spawning. Um, somebody may take off, say they're going to remain in the pattern, and then they fly out. 20 miles north to, and they never come back so you know it's always just keeping up with all the changes and everything so just focus really on the quality yeah i think that's everything. good advice and i I'd, I'd just throw in there too if you if you it's never a, a bad idea to just step back and just look at everything um and say okay how, how am i doing and you know ask some of your buddies to come and fly patterns for you it's also, I think, just a, a, a good idea once in a while, and, and I do this, if if you're going to work a busy airspace, grab somebody and, and tag with them and ask them to work ground for you. Because the, you know, if you if you want to practice on tower in a busy airspace, there's, it, it, not having to worry about ground for a little while is kind of refreshing. And oh, if, in a big way. Yeah. Because and it, that ground, the ground, and you can ask Tristan, um, you know, in several conversations I've had with him, you know, probably some of the most uh, important positions uh, is going to be the ground at certain airports, because uh, that's where the uh, that's where the collisions a lot of times will most likely happen. Mm -hmm. And so, even though, yeah, technically you could go through an airplane uh, on infinite flight, you know, still let's try to keep it as realistic as we possibly can. Let's be courteous uh, to everybody else. Uh, that's around us and uh, you know keep a safe distance and and the controller if he's doing both ground and tower a lot of times he's not going to be able to be on top of the ground uh, as much as he would if he's clearing others sequencing others so on and so forth yeah. uh, that's in the in the pattern so Dale we haven't seen you around very much lately since you've been training um, I'm assuming that you've had uh, more experience lately dealing with actual real-life air traffic controllers. So that being the case, 
Um, was there anything, first question, was there anything that Infinite Flight helped you with before your training? I mean, I know you had tons and tons of uh, glider hours and things like that, and you already had your, uh, I think you called it your recreational license. Um, but going into this process, uh, just curious, did Infinite Flight help at all? Um, it didn't in some ways. I mean, obviously, I've been, only been used to flying in the UK, and I know that Infinite Flight, the terminology sort of things is... Uh, is definitely um, based around, you know, America. So certainly to get used to the terminology, um, although it's very similar, you know, the way that you do it can be different and uh, definitely certainly helped me with flying in the U.S. over here. Um, but, uh, I mean, you know, I think some of my experience from flying beforehand has also helped me on Infinity Flight and and, uh, and definitely with um, other ATC controls and, you know, passing on some knowledge um, to them and like you know obviously experience because at the end of the day that's 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 what you know what, what we're all here for we're all here to help each other really right so that was my next question is that you know has the way you've been uh, doing you've been in the books and you've been um training so much lately um is there anything that you like to see differently um in infinite flight is there any are there any changes that you would suggest or Anything like that now that you've been really just going at it every day? No, I think like Mark said, it's just um, about consistency. You know, it's about, you know, controlling exactly the same no matter where you are or who's in the pattern. You know, if if Matt's coming in, you should treat him exactly the same as as if uh, someone you've never even heard of is flying in. And, uh, you know, just keeping consistency. And then obviously everyone's getting exactly the same experience. And I know that Tyler and Mark and a lot of the guys are trying to really make, um, you know, that everyone consistently controlling exactly the same way and standardizing the process of how things are done. So what I heard you say there is Ghost Matt. Yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's sound advice, right, Mark? Oh, I would think so, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, there's been times I've worked tower, and when he pulls up the 737 and does, you know, a 90-degree bank uh, 200 feet off the runway, yeah. That's that's breaking protocol. He, he doesn't understand what, you know, the aircraft is too big for this airport means. I'm going oh, to exactly. stop. I'm going to stop this line of questioning right now because uh, he he's threatened to multiply my XP by point zero 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 one many times. So we're just yeah, going to go nice ahead. It's nice when on. you're the one sitting there flying and you can sit there and delete all your uh, all your violations at the same time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Skyhawk Heavy said that, not Jaybird. <laughs> All right, so guys, uh, time is marching on here, so let's get to some of the questions that people have been asking on Facebook. Um, Arnaud had a good one, actually. He was one of the first people to comment. He said, uh, for Mark, what are the typical landing and takeoff speeds for a Cessna 172, and uh, when do you select the flaps on the 172? Well, uh, I honestly didn't even know the 172 had flaps. Um, but no, seriously, it... I rarely ever use the flaps. Um, our field here uh, is, you know, the runway that we primarily use is around 6,000 feet. And so it's in a 172, you know, I could, I can land without flaps and the thing's going to stop halfway down anyway, even if I didn't apply the brakes. But 
Uh, typically, when I'm taking off, uh, you you know, I'll begin a slow rotation around 55 knots indicated, um, and then uh, as the plane comes off the ground, uh, then I'll go to the best climb rate, uh, which is around 79 knots uh, to altitude, uh, whether it's you know pattern altitude or 3,000 feet or whatever. So I'll climb out around 3,000 feet. Now, when I'm on approach. Um, it just really depends. Uh, a lot of times, if it's a little bit windier, uh, I don't use any flaps at all uh, just to avoid weather veining. Um, Dale would know a lot about what that is, but basically once you're on the ground, that wind will start using that tail a lot. And uh, the dirtier you have it, the more the wind can move the plane. Um, so He's I, not talking know, about how dirty the actual plane is. <laughs> Yeah, that dirt on the plane and all that. So, but no, when I say dirty the plane up, you know, for landing is full flaps and everything else. Uh, if you had a retractable gear, the gear would be extended. But uh, typically taking off, like I said, 55 for rotation, climbing out at 79. Um, and I'm touching down, uh, I'm on final approach around set, uh, 65 knots ish. Uh, until about 10 to 20 feet off the runway where I'm entering into ground effect. Then I just pull the throttle, and uh, as my airspeed uh, decreases, basically just set the plane down onto the ground, um, like landing on a cushion. And while we're still on that question, uh, Dale, what aircraft were you flying primarily in your training? Uh, so primarily it was a, a Piper Archer. Um, a, a PA-28-181. Um, speeds are very similar to the Cessna, so our, our rotate speed was uh, 65 indicated, and uh, best climb speed of 76. And then, you know, our approach speed would range anywhere from 66 to, to 70, you know, really. So, um, you know, very, very similar. And, um, you know, flaps, we with the Piper, it's, uh, they don't actually use flaps for, for takeoff unless it's, you know, unless you are runway limited, in which case you would use as much flaps as necessary, really. Yeah, okay. for short field. And the one one key thing about what, you know, talking about the 172 versus the Archer, um, you've got a high-wing aircraft versus a low-wing aircraft. So yeah. that's why you have the speed differences. You know, um, he's going to be in ground effect a lot sooner than I will be because his wings are going to be lower to the ground. Oh, I see. And okay. so, yeah, so... Um, it, it, there's a lot of things that actually go into the factor, and if I'm not mistaken, the Archer is actually a little bit heavier than the 172. Oh, it's a lot heavier. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, I, I I've never flown an Archer, I don't believe, uh, but uh, they're a great airplane from what everybody has said. But well, yeah, the high got, wing and the low wing. You've got uh, retractable gear in the Archer, do you not, Till? Uh, no, the Archers uh, are fixed, fixed undercarriage. Oh, okay. And- I think okay. on all the yeah. uh, apart from the arrow, the arrow has uh, has retractable, but uh, the uh, the warriors, the archers, they all have uh, fixed undercarriage. Okay. All right. So we get next to uh, I just had to throw this in. I thought it was awesome. Um, Dean on IFFG says giggity. <laughs> and, well, that uh, pretty much sums up everything right there <laughs> in that one word. So. I, I thought I'd toss that, that in good, there. Good, good thing to um, <laughs> little quagmire action never hurt. Uh, next, exactly. uh, we've already answered one of uh, Henrik's questions, so we'll go to the next one. Uh, have you ever 
either of you ever been in an emergency situation? Can you tell us, uh, if so, what was it? Uh, how'd you deal with it? So, uh, I mean, I've had a couple and uh, nothing too major. Uh, I mean, while I've been out here, I've had an alternator failure, um, which basically means that, uh, the alternator, which charges the battery failed. So I only had about 30 minutes of battery life left when obviously I would lose then my radios, my instruments, um, cause I have a G1000 on the Archer, unlike Mark with his old age dials. Um, once, uh, once my power goes off, that's my, uh, my instruments gone off. So, uh, I just had to land at uh, an airport that was close by. It wasn't really anything major. And, uh, I mean, the other one that I had was, uh, was back when I was in the UK, when I was in the motor gliders, um, I did have a, a power loss after takeoff, um, but it was only a partial one. And I was able to just, uh, uh carry around the, uh, the, uh, the pattern or circuit as we call it in the UK and, uh, and just land back on the runway. Um, but apart from that, nothing, nothing too major. I've not had to land in any fields or, you know, have to squawk seven seven zero zero at any point, which is it's a relief, you know. Um, and hopefully, I won't have to do that any time in my career. So yeah, uh, just to, before you answer that, Mark, um, you just said something interesting, um, Dale. The you said pattern or circuit, as it's called in the UK. I think we refer to them as circuits here in in Canada as well. well. I haven't done the yeah, training I mean, yet, but. Yeah, flying in the U.S., all I hear is pattern. So it's, uh, you know, I, I've only ever known it as a circuit. So it's, uh, you know. Yeah, well, that's what my my friend that I referred to earlier, John, he was, um, he, he actually taught me how to play the drums, which was my former career. And, and he he got his PPL at one point just because he felt like it. And uh, he, he would always say he was going up to, to do some circuits. So, um yeah, that's the word that I had heard before, infinite flight. Yeah, everything is pattern here, or I'm just going to go do some flying around the patch is basically another phrase that's used. But uh, Mark, let's be honest. When you're going up, you just say you're going to go up. I'm going to go up up in the sky now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm just going to get up in the sky, and they, you know, they basically seesaw inbound traffic and divert them to other I'm going to go fly around for a bit. Yeah, <laughs> y'all don't mind. Well, you know, Dale was talking about you know losing the radio and all that with the uh, with the battery being so low. But you know, as an experienced pilot of fifteen years, you know, of course, I only had to have fifteen minutes worth of flight time to realize, well, maybe I need to have a handheld radio in case I do lose my my uh, communication. I'm just saying that's just something throwing it out there. I always carry my phone in my front pocket just in case. Well, we didn't have phones when I first started, not the cell phones anyway. <laughs> Showing your age but. now, Mark. <laughs> Again. Yeah. Again, so, I can't help it. Uh, any Anything, uh, no emergencies for you to deal with, Mark? No, I've, I've had a couple. One, uh, I was actually doing uh, some touch and goes and... Um, you know, there's some things that no matter how thorough of a pre-flight you do, uh, some things you're just not going to be able to see. And um, I was just coming in, doing some touch and goes, and when I landed, very soft landing, actually. And as soon as I set the nose wheel down, um, the whole nose wheel landing gear just started to shake really bad. So I added throttle, pulled up, um, and basically it just felt like it was a flat tire. And, um, so basically declared it at that point, came back in, uh, and just kept the nose wheel off as, as long as I possibly could, um, came to a stop and actually had to push the plane, uh, off 
to the taxiway because I couldn't steer it and the inner tube inside the wheel had popped. Um, so it was, it was pretty crazy. But then another time I'd taken off and just out of happenstance, the autopilot on that particular 172 engaged, even though it was showing disarmed. So I had to fight that plane all the way back down to the ground and trying to fight an airplane that is wanting to fly on autopilot is very, very difficult. Oh, wow. So, yeah. It's all the way but back down to the ground. All the way back down to the ground. People, you know, where's it? Where, you know, how far do you think this will take us? All the <laughs> way to the site that we stopped. <laughs> right. But I mean, made a safe landing. It was just having to muscle the thing all the way back down to the runway, trying to turn it when it's got its heading. And, you know, that was a little bit difficult, but it was still a not safe landing. But, of course, I couldn't fly it anymore after that until they got the uh, autopilot taken care of. But other than that, nothing really. Okay, so now, often, guys, when I'm asking Facebook questions, if I'm not sure how to pronounce somebody's name because they're from another country, I will message them to ask them, you know, hey, dude, how do I pronounce your name on the on the podcast? So my secret's out. I, I'm not just coming up with correct pronunciations. So I asked our next uh, question asker, hey man, how do I pronounce your name if I'm going to use your question? And he replied with two happy faces. So I'm just going to call wow. him Dush because I don't know how else to pronounce his full name. <laughs> but well, you know, here in Alabama it would be Dush Yamp, but, you know, I right. don't have any problem messing up a name. And how did you say it, uh, Dale? Double happy face. <laughs> yeah, but if you were, if you actually had to read his name. Yeah, Deshaun. Yeah, I think okay. that, that's, uh, that's what I'd say. <laughs> we'll have to ask him later once he hears this. But uh, double happy face asks, um, Mark, how is the user interface for Infinite Flight for a mod? Is it the same one that you would see before you're a mod or for the rest of us? Uh, as far as, and, you know, I'm trying to understand the question, but, you know, it, as far as the way I see, uh, my infinite flight, everything still stays the same. Okay. I mean, I see nothing different at all. Okay. I think that's what he was asking. Um, so yep. his next question would be what or how do you add new air traffic controllers? Is that inside the app somewhere or are you going somewhere else to do that? Yeah, uh, no, that's that's not inside the app. That's a completely separate interface. Uh, that's uh, a website that's uh, been established by the developers uh, that Tyler and I use uh, to add uh, new ATC, sometimes even demote or remove ATC. Gasp. Um, yes. So, yeah, yes, so I'm making a note here of <laughs> double happy face. Uh, when, <laughs> to see what I need to do there. When the, when the podcaster asks you a question, don't respond with two emojis. Yeah, if they have a problem really following instruction, a simple question, you know, it's like asking your, you know, what's your intentions, and you're asking how to pronounce the name. Well, if they can't answer that with a simple answer, you know, Ghost. they don't need to be given commands. That's right. In ATC. Dust didn't even <laughs> log into Tower correctly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> didn't log into Tower correctly. <laughs> Fail. Fail. <laughs> um, so, guys, some people want to know um, about bad weather and making quick decisions. 
Uh, we've already talked about in, you know component failures, but um, how either of you had to divert or respond quickly f- from uh, weather? Uh, Dale, let's ask you first. Yeah, so I mean, with uh, me flying in Arizona throughout the uh, the summer, um, it's their uh, thunderstorm season. Um, so with it being very high pressure, it's very unstable. So there, are, there has been points where I've been on a solar navigation, and uh, you know a thunderstorm cell has just developed in, in front of me, and I've had to divert a few times around it, you know, um, just to stay well clear of it because um, lightning and light aircraft do not mix very well, <laughs> and on the odd, odd occasion I have had to divert to a different airport due to, to winds and crosswind limits because every aircraft has its limits, and um, on the Archer it's a uh, 17 knots crosswind that's been demonstrated so the aircraft probably could handle more but the test pilots only tested it to 17 knots so anything above that and we then become a test pilot which is not something i really want to be doing so uh no. uh how about you mark <laughs> yeah i mean similar situations um i've been fortunate to not have to really divert anywhere um you know here in mobile you know it's summer 362 days out of the year so, you know, thunderstorms are always popping up. And um, every, now and, every now and again, there's been times where I'd be flying back into Mobile and there would be a storm that would pop over, just an isolated storm. And basically, I just fly an extended route, you know, as long as I had the fuel to do so, which normally I do, um, and wait for it to pass over or dissipate. Um, there's been a couple of times that... Uh, you know, I've gotten up above the clouds, and um, the clouds would close up on you. Well, it's kind of hard to fly VFR when uh, you can't see the ground. So but you have to call basically, you know, VFR on top, and then request uh, with uh, with tower or approach, whoever you're speaking with, um, for special VFR, and they can give you vectors down through the clouds, and uh, just go from there. So. Not not really too bad at all. Cool. So uh, John wants to know if either of you would change anything about the way in which you obtained your license. So if so, what would you do differently? Me? Um, I probably would have just kept pursuing it. Um, you know, I got my PPL and started working toward my instrument and just really didn't see a need in continuing on. Uh, until I do actually get my own plane, but um, I do wish that I would have just kept going at least through my instrument and then maybe even through my CPL, but at least went and got my uh, my instrument rating. I've got the hours for it. I've got the experience for it. Um, I just need to take the test, the written test, and then go up and do a check ride. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's probably what I, my biggest regret is just not continuing at least through that. Um, and then working on a CPL down the road. Okay. How about you, Dale? Are you happy with the way things have progressed? Yeah, I think I would have liked to have maybe started a bit earlier. I mean, I'm only 22, but I still, you know, I knew it was for me since I ever started when I was 14. So, I mean, you know, I wish I would have started when I was a lot earlier because some of the guys on the course, you know, they're only 18, 19, and, you know, they've got a long, long career ahead of themselves. And I just would have Well, when you're able to bypass your PPL... Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, I'm great, you know, I mean, doing the integrated course, which I'm doing at the moment, because you can do it in a modular fashion, you know, where like uh, Mark, you get your, your PPL, you then build hours, right. then you can get your CPL, 
Um, it does take more hours, but uh, you know it does work out cheaper. But I mean, I I wanted to get it done and dusted, and you know it is a lot of money, which I'm sure we'll get onto uh, very shortly. But um, you know, I wouldn't ch- I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm stick by my decision that I you know I wanted to do, and I'm doing. It, you know, I, I don't really I wouldn't don't think I'd change anything. Okay, so here's the million dollar question of the episode, Mark. Uh, your your call sign Skyhawk Heavy. Um, we we know Skyhawk to be a Cessna one seventy two, correct. Uh, which is far from what we would consider a heavy. <laughs> so, explain. Well, if you've ever seen me, you would understand why it was a heavy. But um, <laughs> no, seriously, um, that name has absolutely nothing to do with me whatsoever it i was out flying the pattern or uh circuits or whatever you want to call it here we call it the pattern of course but i was out doing touch and goes and uh, i was in the pattern with a fedex dc10 uh that a lot of times they will leave downtown uh where they're actually building the airbus facility now um there's a fedex maintenance shop there and they'll come over to the regional airport and just shoot ILS approaches for training and practice. And so they kept sending me on an extended downwind and I'm like, you know, I'm having to pay for this flight. These guys are getting paid to do this. So they were out on about a 10 mile final. And so I was on downwind and just called in the tower, told them I'd like to cut in in front of the DC 10, uh, just make a uh, short approach into landing. And they said, as long as you can come in and land, and taxi off on basically Bravo or Charlie, which were the first couple of uh, taxiways off the runway, uh, you can do it. So I came in, full 30 degrees flaps, and basically rode the stall horn all the way down to the threshold, uh, landed, of course, safely, taxied off um, at the uh, earliest uh, taxiway that I could. Well, when I called clear of activity of uh, runway 32 at Toll Tower, uh, before switching the ground, you might want to caution uh, the DC-10 of my wake turbulence. <laughs> and uh, they actually announced that uh, to the DC-10, they you know FedEx DC-10, whatever they were calling him, uh, caution wake turbulence from Skyhawk Heavy. <laughs> and uh, he replied, we'll caution wake turbulence from Skyhawk Heavy. So ever since then, it just stuck. And uh, every time I fly out, if I'm in a 172, that's what I call in. I'll, this is Skyhawk Heavy, 98694, whatever you know, aircraft I'm in, which that plane's not even <laughs> flying anymore. But whatever plane I'm in, I'll say Skyhawk Heavy, and I'll give my tail number, and that's how they hand me off uh, <laughs> to other to approach and everything else. So it's, and, it's hilarious. And nobody has a problem with that? No. And actually, um, one thing I learned the other day uh, – from Tristan, I, and I was telling him the story, and you know, he said that uh, whatever you call in as, they have to actually notify. They have to actually contact you with that call sign. Really, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, that yeah, was we have. I didn't know. Uh, we have something similar too in in the uh, Arizona area. All our aircraft uh, have the N numbers, you know, four four zero zero whiskey or whatever. But we uh, right. we placard all our aircraft with Oxford call signs. So you know, Oxford two zero four, Oxford A eighty one, and basically like uh, like Mark said, anything you call up ATC with, then they have to you know reply that back to you. 
Um, even if it's Phoenix Approach, if it's Luke Air Force Base, whoever it is, you know, if you give them a call sign, they have to reply back with that call sign. Yeah, that's what they'll do here. You know, a lot of times I'll do a flight from Mobile to Pensacola, Florida. You know, when I'm taking people sightseeing and then come back along the coast, well, when Mobile Departure hands me off to Pensacola Approach and I contact into Pensacola Approach, their contact, you know, I contact Skyhawk Heavy. <laughs> and then that's it. You know, they're also reading that back to me. So it, it's pretty funny. And it's just stuck and become second nature. That's awesome. You'd miss it if it wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, I would think something was wrong. All right, are you guys ready for a question from Tristan? Oh, no. Oh, I thought we took that one out, but go ahead. So Tristan would love to know, Mark, uh, if there's a way that you could please just possibly get rid of that hillbilly accent of yours. Yeah, I'm not really sure what he's talking about. Um, <laughs> I don't hear any. I don't hear what this hillbilly thing is. I'm not from, Yeah, I'm not from Kentucky like some people where the hillbillies are really known to be. But, oh, um, man. Yeah, you know, he can just learn to live with it. Well, why don't we just get Tristan on a call again and then just oh, compare accents? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm doing my best over here as a, the Canadian boy to try and not tag myself too much as a Canadian for you guys. Hopefully I'm not failing miserably. How's that process working out for you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh, the the process of making pasta. I said I had a, a friend in Indiana when I lived there for a little while that said I said pasta we were having something for pasta for dinner and he could not make the connection in his brain that I was talking about pasta which is obviously what you guys would call it pasta I'm like come on man you got to try a little bit at least to have a conversation with me properly <laughs> you know? well yeah if you said I was going to uh, have pasta you know, I would think you were talking about having a preacher over for dinner or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have pasta for dinner. Oh, you had the preacher coming over? That's oh, great. I should tell you, just real quick, my my band was, uh, I forget where we were. I think we were in the Midwest somewhere. And this venue that we were playing at said, hey, we can, uh, we've got a great Chinese place around here. Do you guys like Chinese food? We said, of course, yeah. So... He said, well, what do you want? We don't have a menu here, so we'll just get whatever we can that's close. So we start rhyming off a couple of, you know, normal Chinese dishes. And then one of our guys said, oh, can you get uh, some chicken balls as well? And, and chicken balls. And they're like, chicken balls? Oh, chicken balls. <laughs> what we meant, and in Canada, we call sweet and sour chicken, we just call them chicken balls because they're in the shape of little balls. But it was hilarious yeah. to <laughs> to see the that's look on the guy's face. That's north of the border there. That's, that's, something. <laughs> that's way north of Canada, too. I don't know where that's from. <laughs> yeah. That's what we call them around here, chicken balls. Hey, everything um, here is just a chicken nugget. <laughs> even in the Chinese food, chicken nuggets. Yeah, sweet and sour chicken nuggets. That's what I want. There you go. <laughs> uh, Tristan would also like to know, on a more serious note, um, for both of you, how many hours have you guys logged? Well, I think we covered that earlier on if he would pay attention. Nutrition um, really should be paying attention. He really should be. Come on. Okay. Uh, I've got uh, around 350. And uh, I'm on about 240 at the moment. Uh, with, he's, yeah, catching up. he's catching up to you, And man. he's so much further ahead, yeah. He, now, I've got more hours, but he's got more ratings and licenses. But, <laughs> but that's, you know. that's what the integrated for. It's, you know, it's con 
packed in everything together and so you can do it in the in the least amount of hours and uh yeah when you can skip licenses and then come to the u.s to fly cheaper yeah yeah it'd be yeah <laughs> yeah it still cost me a lot of money though <laughs> <laughs> well sure actually speaking of money let's get into that so justin on facebook wanted to know uh for dale so as another pilot looking to get a cpl one day how would you recommend going about training and uh maybe you can mention what costs are involved in that so I mean, it it all depends on how committed you can be to it, really. I mean, you know, if you if you want to keep your full time job, if you've got a family, then the modular route, you know, getting your PPL, building hours, getting your CPL, it's going to be the best route. And obviously, in the long run, it probably will be cheaper. Um, with myself, I, you know, I don't have a house, I don't have you know a job, so I do doing the integrated route, which it is more expensive, but you do it in a lot less time. So, you know, you can start paying back them money that you owe so i mean cost wise for the course that i'm doing um for everything so to take you basically from no hours to um a frozen atpl uh, with mcc and jock and an instrument rating which is basically everything you need to get into an airline um it's about eighty four thousand pounds which for uh, the americanos that don't know how to uh, convert that's about one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars holy moly yeah so well, there's not, an app not, for that yeah it's not uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's called a calculator. <laughs> it's not. Uh, it's not. No, it's not the cheapest of things. But I would say, if uh, if Justin or anyone else wants to uh, to uh, feel free to message me about it if they want to. I know that uh, one of our ATC controllers has actually got a uh, an open day with Oxford coming up in the uh, in the next week or so. Harry Yardsley, I think it is. Does that ring a bell? Twenty one? No. No. Um, no, it's one of the controls anyway on Slack, and uh, he's got an open day with Oxford coming up, so he's looking at that route. But uh, yeah, if anyone wants to message me about it, feel free. Um, but um, you know, it, it's one of those things where if you want to do it, you need to, you know, grab the ball by the horns and just go for it. Because if you if you're umming and ahhing about it, then maybe it's not for you because you do have to sacrifice a lot, but you will get the rewards in the end. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I mean, just listen to the sacrifices that you talked about making and as far as the, the cost in it in itself. Um, but it takes a level of commitment to be able to do that. And yeah, that's it. Yeah. You know, it, people look at it, oh, my God, you've got, you know, £84,000 worth of debt or, you know, $125,000 worth of debt. But then, you know, after eight years of working in the airlines, I won't have any debt, and all the money that I'm earning is just going to be going straight into my pocket. So Yeah, and I've heard so many people, friends of mine, who have gone to a huge school here in the States called Flight Safety um, yeah. that have gone there, gotten their all their licenses, and even a degree, but come away with no job. That's it. I mean, the, the, I mean, the industry at the moment is is really good. So, I mean, anyone that's looking to do it now is definitely the time to to get in because you know the airlines are recruiting. Um, you know, we now is a really really good time to to start looking at uh, doing it. Um, but yeah, I know this. My uh, one of my mum's friends, um, her you know her, her husband remortgaged the house to do all the pilot training and everything like that. Got all the qualifications, got the licenses, the ratings, and uh, it still hasn't got a job, you know. So, and the thing is, the longer you are out of flying, so you know, the the further away from your license you've got, the, the harder right. it is to get a job. So, you know, the a lot of airlines do look at the integrated courses because you know you have been engulfed in flying for you know eighteen months, and you've literally just lived, breathed flying. 
you know, ground time, flying, instrument, all that sort of stuff. So they want you fresh out of school. So, you know, as soon as you finish your integrated course, you know, you're getting interviews with airlines and, you know, they're taking you on straight away because, you know, you're fresh out of training. The longer you are out of training, the harder it is it's going to be to get a job. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, um, we've got a couple more here and then we'll wrap things up. But uh, our buddy Mike Scholen, who was uh, with us on our air traffic controller episode. What's up, Mike? Uh, he wants to know two questions. One, would you change anything in the game to make it more realistic as pilots? Uh, for me, yeah, I would probably just not let Mike fly in the simulator at all. Oh, that makes um, sense. Yeah, that would make it more realistic. I mean, if you've ever seen the man try to land the plane, oh, it's just that's embarrassing. The most unreal. It is, and you know, I've diverted more on infinite flight when he's in the pattern than I have ever in real life. <laughs> so, um, no, the biggest thing for me uh, that would make it more realistic, you know, you hear a lot of people say, I can't fly the 208, I can't fly the 172, um, is, you know, you get a two, three knot wind, even if it's a direct headwind, it's blowing the 172 everywhere. And it, you know, little things like that. And it's not like that in real life. Mm. Um, you know, let's, I, I would like to see it more realistic, you know, maybe an eight to 10 knot crosswind or something like that's going to move it around a little bit more, but the winds affecting the way the plane is as it begins to generate lift, uh, is a little bit unrealistic in most of them, yeah, it is a especially the 172. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hear there's a new airplane coming out soon that might, uh, have a really nice, uh, some really nice physics and everything to it. But uh, yeah, I've, 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 yeah, I've heard something about that two or three thousand times on the fan group page. <laughs> I don't know what everybody's going off about. Uh, his second, uh, well, let's let's open that up to Dale. Any any thoughts on that, Dale? Um, I think the main thing for me is runway numbers. It, it, you know, every time you're coming in on a runway and you just can't see the numbers, it's just, it's really unrealistic for me, but you know, I know it's a small thing, but, uh, you know, it's little things like that. And, uh, and maybe things like, you know, being able to control things like, you know, your engine, if you can turn it off, if you've got multi things like that, I'm sure that the developers are working on something, you know, to, to make this sim even better. And obviously it'll come with time, but, you know, just to be yeah. able to, you know, or even, you know, if you're flying a jet, instead of just having the one throttle, being able to, you know, just move two throttles up. Yeah. And so you get, yeah, especially when you're trying to make a tight turn just to be able to have yeah, differential exactly. throttles. Yeah, and, exactly. you know, you could yeah. throttle up a little bit more on those engines. And, yeah, yeah I exactly. mean, it's great that I can turn the beacon on and off. But if I turn it <laughs> off, yeah. that should be a violation because I've got two engines sitting there at idle. Right. <laughs> it's, that. <laughs> it's true. But. Um, yeah, that would be great. Mike also wants to know, uh, guys, what is your favorite airfield uh, to fly at and why? So let's start with uh, Mr. Heavy on this one. Well, um, being Skyhawk Heavy, obviously I like a really long runway um, <laughs> and very wide to give me room. So, <laughs> you know, no, really, uh, I have one field that um, – was uh, introduced to me several months back and uh, from a buddy of mine that flies on infinite flight and Steven Wilson, let's give him a shout out. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, 
I would really prefer not to disclose that field simply because there's nobody ever there. Ooh, is that so, is that the one we were at uh, maybe a couple weeks ago? Yes, where all of us were flying. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, and there's never any wind whatsoever, and there's never traffic. So it's so nice to be able to go out there and just do 15, 20 touch-and-goes, um, you know, in, in several minutes, unless you're Tristan or Michael, and you can do one pass and log in three touch-and-goes. Um <laughs> <laughs> but I think the term you're looking for is bounce and go. Bounce and go, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that got like four at once. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but and I think that's how Tyler, you know, gets six thousand <laughs> XP in twenty minutes when the rest of us get like nine hundred to a thousand. I think you. That is exactly right. You're onto something there, Mark. He's getting in his Spitfire and he's just bouncing it on the nose gear all the way down. All the way down. He's doing something, but. Yeah, it's just a little small private field, um, but uh, if anybody sees the map, they would know where it's at because I'm there all the time. At least for a few minutes almost every night, I'm there flying just doing some patterns. Well, we won't say what region it's in. No. <laughs> uh, Next thing you know, you've got an A380 trying to land there. And I just, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ain't nobody um, got time for that. No, that's right. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. Uh, Dale, how about you? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't really think uh, I'd mind an F. I don't really have a favorite. I like the short ones just because it's another challenge. So uh, you know, trying to take a seven three to the you know the shortest runway it can possibly go to. I don't mean landing on the helipad or anything, but uh, you know something that's a bit of a challenge is always good. I mean, there's no point in taking a seven three seven to LAX because you've got. Although I have demonstrated in video the one seventy two yeah. on the helipad you're talking about. I got I got a C seventeen off there, so you know it's, it's doable. <laughs> All right, well you're better than me with your little CPL. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well before this gets uh, too out of control, let's uh, get to one last question. Daniel is asking, what do examiners look for most on the private or commercial practical tests? So uh, let's go with Mister CPL since he's uh, just fresh out of the boot camp. Yeah, well, I think I think to be honest, for for both tests, um, it's very similar. The actual things they're looking at. I mean, on my CPL check, um, they check everything really. So from navigation to doing a diversion, um, basic instrument flying, um, doing like tracking and interceptings of radials for VORs, things like that, um, stalls and steep turns, um, general maneuvers on the aircraft, make sure you can handle it properly um you will do pattern work they always check and obviously if you, if you can't land the plane then obviously they're not going to give you any sort of of license right. um then they'll, they'll practice you know normal flat plus and for single engines it'll be glide approaches and for for multi-engine you'll practice asymmetric landings um emergency procedures so that can be anything from you know engine failures after takeoff to engine fires in flight you know emergency descents things like that um and just generally how you are uh, in the area you are, knowing your airspaces, how you handle the radios, things like that. So, I mean, obviously, if you're doing it as a commercial test, obviously things are a bit more in-depth, where private, I think you'll still cover the same things, but uh, obviously not as in-depth, I don't think. I mean, I'm sure Mark can, if he can remember back that far, um, 
you know, tell us a little bit more about the private <laughs> wow. side of it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, back when, uh, you know, back when I took my check ride with Orville and Wilbur Wright uh, and getting off for the right. How was, how was the right fly? Was it all right? Yeah, yeah it was it was uh, it was really good. Um, it was the first ultra lot, of course. But that was the first um, ever bouncing go, if I remember correctly. That was the first ever bouncing go, the first ever real heavy that was out there. But um, no, it, it, it's very similar like what Dale is just saying. And, you know, one thing that's important is that the Czech airmen uh, are not there to fail you. They're looking to make sure that you're competent, that you have control of the plane. And you're safe. Uh, and that you're safe. Now, And they're also not looking for perfection. They understand that you're nervous when they are in the cockpit with you. Dale will uh, confirm that you can fly in 90-degree weather all day long and just be as comfortable. But if a, a Czech airman gets in that cockpit, it's now about 120 degrees. Um, yeah. so no it, it just no air condition. Now, of course, I can open up a window, but yeah. you know you don't have that luxury. But um, you know they're not looking for that perfection. They're they're just looking for competency, being able to be safe. You know, understanding everything, and they know that you're going to mess up. And a lot of times they'll let you redo if they will, uh, if if you do mess up. And and honestly, and what's sad to say is that there's a lot of times that it also depends on the check airman. You may get somebody who is a new Czech airman and is making a name for himself and wants to just pick on every little thing that you do. Um, yeah, so it, a lot of that's taken into consideration. Mine, wonderful guy, had 60-something thousand hours of flight time. Uh, flew the SR-71 uh, wow. Blackbird. Flew the U-2 spy plane, was uh, squadron commander on both of those. And here I am with 42 hours trying to impress this guy. Um, and what was cool, uh, he actually showed me an endorsement in his logbook from Charles Lindbergh, who flew the Spirit of St. Louis. Wow. Charles Lindbergh was one of his instructors. So um, here I am trying to impress him. But he wasn't looking for perfection, just everything else that we had mentioned. He must have been so, he must have been heavily sedated to be in the cockpit with you, Mark. I don't think he really knew he was there um, <laughs> until we're around seven thousand feet, and I'm thinking everything is great, and he pulls my power for emergency procedure. <laughs> That's always the way. Yeah, so, so yeah. Uh, that was fun. On the on the multis, they uh, they go one step further and they put a clipboard over your throttle quadrant. And then they pull a throttle and expect you to know exactly which one it is and how to how to deal with it. So uh, that's always fun. Oh yeah, and that's one thing I've I've, I've shared with Tyler. You know, he, I know he's got one flying instructor he's going through, and I told him before before you go take your check ride, go up with an instructor that you've never flown with. Yeah, exactly. And do a simulated check ride, um, and that way it kind of mentally prepares you as well for flying with somebody that you've never flown with. And it's great. Awesome. So yeah, you, you might have flown with an SR-71 Blackbird pilot, but I've flown with an astronaut. So, you know, I'm, I, you know. <laughs> I might, well, I might technically, they were in the SR-71. Yeah, but I flew <laughs> with someone that that went on the, on the space missions. <laughs> well, I've flown with several uh, pilots before, two guys. So... 
<laughs> yeah, but being was, back in coach I was, or first class doesn't really help. I was riding in coach at the time, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I thought they um, didn't even let you on the plane at that time. <laughs> and you know, and it's great, you know, to have even go up, you know, like I said, for a simulated check ride, but also just to learn something else. Uh, for example, slow flight, which I absolutely love, and that's flying the plane at the mo- at the slowest maneuverable speed possible. Yeah. Um, I'm sitting there. My instructor, who I believe did fly with the Wright brothers, uh, he taught me to do slow flight without flaps. So I've got a very high angle of attack. And so when I did my simulated check ride, he's like set up for slow flight. So I start setting up, pull power, and of course start, I get the angle up that I want it to and start setting trim. Takes about five minutes to set trim on slow flight without uh, flaps. And he's asking me, what about your flaps? Um, what about them? Don't you use them? No. No, you needed to. And he dumped them all at one time, so it, it's crazy. Yeah. Cool stuff, guys. Well, um, we are totally out of time. And uh, so is there before I let you guys go, is there anything else that you wanted to add to our chat for our listeners today? I mean, I would just say if it's something that, you really want to do pursue it you know you know if it's a dream then go for it don't don't just talk about it you can sit and talk about it all you want to and then as you get my age you don't want to regret not doing something you wish you would have well and i'm hearing i'm hearing both of you say that you do it do it as quickly as you possibly can to save time oh, and absolutely. money and and so that you just you don't regress in between lessons yep. Yeah, absolutely, because you can forget so much um, in doing so. Uh, if you wait two weeks or whatever, you know, save the money or even yet, you know, go take out a small loan or something, a little personal loan, just to get your license done, just to be done with it and build up your experience and hours once you get your license uh, until you can save up for your instrument or do like what Dale did, you know, and, and go through the academy. So it's several different ways, but do it. Don't just sit around and say, man, I wish I could fly. I wish I could do that. Just do it. Yeah. And what I'd say to that is as well, that, you know, the money shouldn't really be an issue because if you, you know, if you want to do it so badly, then you'd know, you'd pay whatever really to follow your dreams. And there are banks out there. Like, I mean, I, I don't, I didn't have, you know, 84,000 pounds lying around. So I obviously borrowed the money from a bank, you know, and there are, you know, there are banks out there that will, that do specialize in pilot loans like the, the BBVA, um, are one of the banks yeah. that specialize in the loans, you know, so, you know, it's worth investing, you know, you might have to secure it against, you know, a property or something like that. But, you know, a lot of flying schools, they do have, you know, like terms and conditions that, you know, that, that can sort of, you know, give you a bit of, uh, you know, financial security as, you know, um, but if, you know, if it's something you really, really want to do, you know, the chance, you know, you're not going to fail. So there, you wouldn't, end up losing anything so you know like mark said and you know like i think a lot of people who fly in the industry will say is basically if you want to do it just do it and you know don't look back well they say that about money and time right if you really want to do something if you wait till there's enough time and enough money guess what you've got no time you're not going to do it and i mean there's so many aviation organizations that are out there that want to that promote ga you know just general aircraft flying yeah. That they offer, you know, loans to their organization. 
And uh, I'm always getting emails and junk mail and all that from these things about these low rate uh, loans. So, yeah, I mean, go out there and do it, but do it and don't regret it later on. I'll even like scholarships, you know, I got, you know, before I got my uh, my license and stuff like that, I got a couple of scholarships, you know, you just got to apply for everything. And, you know, if you don't get it, you don't get it. But if you don't apply, you're never going to get it. So, you know, just just beg, borrow, or not not steal, but, you know, just apply for everything. And uh, and just, you know, if you want to do it, then just do it and, you know, follow your dreams. There it is. Yep. So the theme for this episode is just do it. Yeah, just do it. Just do it. That's, that's pretty catchy. Just <laughs> a company could really go far with a slogan like that, I think. Yeah. I think so. That's a great idea. Uh, this is this has been great, guys. Thank you so much for uh joining me. We recorded this pretty late, so uh, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Dale, um best of luck as you go back to the UK. Uh, we will see you on Slack um to continue communicating, I hope. Yeah, I'll be on a little bit more now that I'm not worrying about passing my commercial pilot's license. Just got to worry about my instrument rating. Awesome. Well, we'll have so, to uh, yeah, tag. No, be on now and we'll have to tag or go for some flights soon. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Mark? Yeah, you'll have to learn how to fly with a side stick instead of a yoke, too. Well, I mean, the gliders used to be uh, all, all uh, sides. Well, it was still a control column. So, uh, you know, I'm used to that. And I do prefer the the uh, control columns to the yoke but uh, but don't tell uh, piper that cause, uh, well you've just <laughs> you've just answered a question that we didn't have time to get to so there we go uh yoke or joystick oh, it sounds like joystick yeah definitely <laughs> awesome okay thanks guys i right, appreciate it no worries that was private pilot and infinite flight atc moderator mark skyhawk heavy denton from mobile alabama as well as commercial pilot dale mclaughlin from stockport england both guys are also Infinite Flight Advanced Server Controllers and Testers, and they join me today on Skype. Thanks as always for listening. If you haven't already, head over to the App Store or Google Play and download Infinite Flight. Please tell your friends about FlightCast and visit flightcast.audio for more information. We would love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a great review. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com flightcastaudio and on Twitter at flightcastaudio. If you have any ideas for Flightcast, please leave them in the comments. Flightcast is brought to you by Linkhouse Media on the web at linkhousemedia.com. And if you're an avid flyer, don't forget you can track your flights at liveflightapp.com. To cover the fine print, Flightcast is not affiliated with Infinite Flight or Flying Development Studio. I'm Jason Rosewell. Thanks for listening and happy landings. And uh, if you want to stop for whatever reason, you know, you have to, you're, I know you're getting older, Mark, so if you have to relieve yourself or something, then that's fine. <laughs> Just let me know, and then we'll, we'll stop it and start again. Yeah, shuffleboard's not till 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, so okay. I'm good. Perfect. All right. He's already on the throne already. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Today we continue our real-world pilot series. In the first part of... Blah. Take three. Do you need to start tomorrow or something? Or? <laughs> it's almost tomorrow. Eight minutes. Mr. Mark Skyhawk Heavy Nell. Oh, crap. Really? <laughs> Didn't even get your name right. As much? Oh, my Lord. Are you, are you reading this or are you just trying to memorize it? <laughs> no. No, I'm reading. Okay, here we go. Oh, crap. Okay, Mine should be intro. freaking second nature. I know. I know. All right. <clears throat> here we go. Um, I'm just going to pause it right now. Does somebody have a, um, Dale, do you have a microphone that's like on a wire?
No. There's something what? touching your microphone on a pretty consistent basis. Oh. Is that better? Yes, that's better. Thanks. Okay. No, no worries. <laughs> I was just hearing, I, we were hearing a little bit of static from it. I was, uh, I was relaxing. Probably. Was it like rubbing on your chest hair or something? Or? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually sitting naked right now, you know, just because I can. <laughs> as, soon, as soon as I realized there was no camera, I was like, yep, see you later. <laughs> yeah, he's doing this with his feet <laughs> out. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's going to be a I mean, great blooper. All right, um, let me just see. Oh, Dush e- uh, texted me back here. Oh, that's really helpful. I said, <laughs> just spell his name. <laughs> I said, dude, if I ask you, if I ask your question, how do I pronounce your name? He sends back two smiley faces, and that's it. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna call him out on that. Yeah, call him out. Just say, well, uh, double smiley face. Um, ask your question. All right, I'm gonna do that. Okay, let's go. We're gonna start it again. That was Private Pilot and Infinite Flight ATC Moderator Mark. Oh, see, look what happens when I try <laughs> yeah, to read so things. Well. It's going so well. <laughs> that was Private Pilot and Infinite Flight ATC Moderator Mark Skyhawk Heavy. Oh. <laughs> do you want me to say it? <laughs> I'm gonna get my I'm gonna get my eight year old to read this tomorrow morning. Here we go. Last time. That was Private Pilot and Infinite Flight ATC Moderator Mark. Oh wow! <laughs> I'm gonna start cussing pretty soon. Is, it, is this this going on the back of the uh, the end? Is you it? guys can just go ahead and hang up if you like. I'm gonna try this again. Oh no, I'm enjoying <laughs> this. This is funny. This is funny. <laughs> All right, here we go. <clears throat> Thanks as always for listening. If you haven't already, <clears throat> now I have a frog in my throat. Just go outside and get you some ice off the tree and just. <clears throat> wow. Oh, wow. That only took two hours and 17 minutes. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Happy landings.